fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 68 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. And today's topic is sort of topical. While we're all waiting to see how our plans will pan out, it's Around the World in 80 Delays. Thanks to everybody for the tales of travel trials and tribulations that you've sent us to our Twitter account at uh, You Should Have BT, and we'll be featuring some of them later. First, though, I think congratulations are in order to you, Simon, for having guessed so many of the countries that made it onto the green list that Grant Shapps, the uh, transport minister, has recently announced. Yes, I guess it goes to show that if you back enough horses, some of them are bound to come in. And to extend that metaphor a little further, I'm at the starting gate where on the 17th of May, we will at last be able to go abroad. That's Gatwick Airport. And so you're going to hear miscellaneous noises off, announcements, baggage, the occasional car. We might, if we're lucky, even get a plane. Um, This used to be the world's busiest single runway airport. It's not any more. Well, I noticed that some far-flung countries are on this uh, green list, uh, South Georgia and the Falklands, also known as the Malvinas Islands. And I really am not over-tempted by them because, uh, A, they're a long way away, and B, I think it's very cold there at this time of year. It certainly is. I'd steer you instead towards, well, Portugal is the main European destination. Israel, which says it will welcome individual travellers, maybe from July. Uh, Plucky Gibraltar, of course, um, where they are already saying, come and have a British staycation in the sun. Uh, Iceland and the Faroe Islands, um, halfway between Scotland and Iceland. Although there's going to have to be some direct flights put in, I think. Well, I reckon the closest of those might well be the Faroe Islands, but I have absolutely no idea uh, what they're like. I presume you've been there, Simon. <laughs> I, I have just the once. They they jut out of the North Atlantic in a very rocky way. Um, and it's a superb destination because you have got this combination of uh, soaring mountains and, of course, ocean everywhere, traditional fishing communities. And there's actually some surprisingly modern infrastructure connecting some of these islands. And the capital, Torshaven, is uh, a very, very pleasant place to be. Uh, the trouble is, at the moment, you can only get there via uh, flying via Copenhagen and if you do that then you will trigger amber status which means that you will need to self-isolate for 10 days when you come back but look planes are being uh, assigned to these uh, green list destinations as we speak and so um, it might be that you'll be able to get there pretty soon. Okay uh, I should add that the Faroe Islands do have a an international football team which I not sure if it's ever won a, a football match, and a lot of tunnels and bridges which connect the islands up. I think that's true, isn't it, Simon? Oh, yes, and they're getting better all the time, and there's even an underground roundabout, or undersea roundabout. <laughs> well, that sounds worth uh, worth trying. And for uh, lovers of more conventional destinations, we're going to be looking in a lot more detail at uh, all of the travel opportunities that Portugal currently on the uh, green list, uh, can offer the, uh, I suppose you could call it, the early adopting um, holidaymaker. But anyway, let's get on to today's theme, which is around the world in 80 delays. 
based, of course, on the perennially popular novel by Jules Verne, Around the World in 80 Days. If you haven't read it, in a nutshell, it's the tale of a substantial bet made by Phileas Fogg, a wealthy English gentleman, with fellow members of the Reform Club, that he could travel round the world in 80 days or less. So, uh, on Wednesday the 7th of October 1872, he set off from London's Victoria Station, accompanied by his servant, or uh, valet, the resourceful Frenchman Jean Passepartout. Uh, And there follows excitement, comic capers and drama aplenty as the pair try to get back to the Reform Club in time to win the bet within the 80 days. Um, It was, of course, fictional, but... Was that journey feasible in those times, Simon? The story and the bet actually originated from an article in the Daily Telegraph, which said, effectively, um, thanks to all the infrastructure developments around 1870, it is now possible to travel around the world in 80 days. And here's the route, London to Suez, Suez to Bombay, to Calcutta, to Hong Kong, to Yokohama in Japan, across the Pacific to San Francisco. And that is by, sorry, that's by steamships, presumably, and railways. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Just rail and sea, but scheduled links. Um, You could cross America for the first time, San Francisco to New York in three days. And then finally, a scheduled steamer across the Atlantic and uh, a train to get you back to London in 80 days. But as another member of the Reform Club pointed out, that doesn't take into account bad weather, contrary winds, shipwrecks, railway accidents and so on. And uh, I guess, Mick, we could add cracks in uh, the the jacking points on intercity trains, the latest uh, problem to befall Britain's rail travellers. Yes, the joys of travel. Now, I said earlier that this uh, tale around the world in 80 days was perennially popular, and that was because there have been all kinds of attempts to follow in the footsteps of uh, uh, Phileas Fogg and to make programmes, films, etc., based on it. Uh, I don't know, you might remember Michael Palin made a very, very popular version for BBC TV in uh, 1989, which included a a memorable scene on an Indian Dow, a sailing vessel, uh, during which he introduced a very elderly member of the Gujarati crew to Bruce Springsteen's music uh, via a Walkman. Uh, did you ever see that? It's very good. <laughs> Oh, of course. And this was um, a tremendous uh, change in his career from from comic actor to um, great uh, television travel presenter. Absolutely marvellous. And of course, he's uh, still doing great things, I'm delighted to say. Yes, voted top travel icon in uh, our very own (laughs) poll uh, a few months ago. Um, Now, there was also a feature film in 1956 starring David Niven, Um, which uh, actually had a hot air balloon in it as one of the modes of transport, which certainly wasn't part of the original novel. And I can exclusively reveal that there's going to be a new BBC dramatised series starring David Tennant, um, Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Formerly Doctor Who, uh, which is uh, scheduled for later this year. But, uh, well, don't hold me to that date, but I do gather it's being filmed now. Well, Simon, seeing as you're uh, 
in the underground car park at uh, Gatwick Airport. And uh, and also, let's face it, our resident global traveller, um, if you were to undertake this journey now by air, uh, how, how long would it take you? 80 hours? No, if you follow the route pretty much as as uh, Phileas Fogg and Passepartout uh, covered the journey, um, which is actually all entirely Northern Hemisphere. You could do it, I think, comfortably in about 40 hours if the connections worked well for you. Ha, ha, ha. That's the sound of hollow laughter. The idea that you could possibly go on a significant journey without um, uh, without encountering some delays. Um, and uh, this takes us to our theme around the world in 80 delays. And uh, to kick us off, here is one from travel guidebook writer david else oh yes uh, don't get me started the uh i've it, particularly back in in let's, let's say sort of 80s and early 90s i was traveling around a lot in africa in those days didn't have a load of money so would travel um by third class train or in some parts of africa rather than travel by bus there are no buses there's sort of trade lorries going around the place and you oh, pay gosh. some money to the driver oh, and sit on the back of the lorry um and you get to a lorry park in a city and you sort of sit around in this dusty lorry park on the outskirts of some town in africa you've never heard of and wait for the next lorry it's almost like an airport hub but much slower and dustier and um i've had a lot of a lot of waits i do remember once in west africa i was traveling from uh, the Central African Republic and heading towards Senegal. But I didn't want to go through Nigeria at that time because there'd been a bit of political trouble. So I looked at the map and thought, well, rather than go through Nigeria, I'll just pop round the top of Lake Chad, I thought. Uh, there was a road on a big red line marked on the map, um, which turned out to be completely fictitious. And anyway, I ended up in a small town, which I think was called Mao, M-A-O, on the what was then the north shore of lake chad of course the lake's shrunk since then and i got dropped off by a lorry and i thought well i'll just wait here for the next one and i waited four and a half days in this <laughs> lorry park um i got to know a few of the people i mean i almost felt like building a hut and settling down it was um it was a long long old wait well that's david else's delay uh, i actually had a look at uh, the town of mao uh, where he had to wait four and a half days for the next uh, unscheduled lorry. Uh, and it really does look incredibly remote. And what is kind of odd is it seems a very, very long way from Lake Chad, which I presume has shrunk enormously in the, uh, what, 30 years um, that have passed since David uh, uh, waited there. <laughs> Well, I did spend about three days in another lakeside city, but in rather more comfort, actually, in the Hilton Hotel in <laughs> Toronto, because um, Air Transat, which and this is going back, what, uh, 30 years, um, was a small Canadian airline, only had a couple of planes. When one of them broke, they basically had to put everybody up um, in this lovely city uh, and keep us there fed and watered for about three days. So that was good. And they even paid me, I remember, for my lost wages when I finally uh, uh, made it back. Well, that shows that uh, delays are uh, not always um, bad things. Uh, there seems to be a bit of action down at, uh, at your end of the recording, Simon. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, there's an awful lot of empty buses and coaches, including one which has um, just decided to park right next to me. So sorry for the uh, continuing noise. I think it will probably go 
quite soon. But uh, yes, if, if um, anybody from Gatwick Airport is listening, you should ask your drivers to switch off their engines. It's better for the environment and for people's ears. <laughs> and I would say for your health if you're actually underground. But let's get on to the tweets that uh, you have sent us. And uh, some themes uh, did emerge from your stories. Uh, and I've done my best to um, put them into categories, uh, including scary delays. Uh, Mark, for example, sent us this. Short story. Gulf War breaks out. We are in Melbourne. Delayed flights, but not told where we were going until in the air. An overnight in Nairobi. Interrogated by secret police and told I would never leave Kenya. Moral of story. Don't give a stranger a dollar and buy him a Coke. Home via Crete. Very stressful. That's very good, isn't it? That could be the beginning of a John le Carre it, uh, it, novel, I think. Um, it could be. And, it was uh, actually the end of a very long and circuitous Britannia Airways flight because um, uh, at the start of the first Gold, Gulf War, they had lots of flights going between the Gatwick and uh, Melbourne in Australia, and they normally went out via Sharjah and then across uh, uh, Asia, and they had to come back a very strange and convoluted route. But... Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, Mark made it back to join us. I'm delighted that he did. Me too. Uh, now, here's uh, Rebecca uh, Rowley-Smith. Thanks to a lorry crash on the railway line between Darwin and Adelaide, we were delayed on the Garn, north of Alice Springs, by one and a half days. The staff cleared an area of bush for us to walk outside, but warned us not to get too close to the edge of it as tiger snakes didn't wait for you to get close to them. Uh, I think that's quite, uh, that's quite worrying. But this was the one that actually scared me most of all. This is from uh, Tiffany Lamp. February 1996. Got stuck on Eurostar for eight hours, 22 kilometres inside the tunnel. No lights, no water, no info. Utter nightmare. That's horrible, isn't it? Well, quite. It's bad enough being stuck on a train uh, for eight hours when you're outside and you know what's going on. Must have been awful, although, of course, Eurostar would stress that they have absolutely impeccable safety precautions and there wasn't any risk. But it still sounds horrible. Um, talking of not knowing what's going on, if you remember back in 2010, this was the spring of the ash cloud from that... Uh, Volcano Eyjafjallajökull. Um, loads. <laughs> That's your favourite word, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, uh, uh, only me and um, Radio Four announcers know if I've pronounced it correctly. Um, but that that uh, revealed lots of experiences. Here's another mark: um, a week in Texas due to Icelandic volcanoes on standby due to potential short notice departure. Eventually, he gets on a plane from Houston heading for Heathrow, but a couple of hours out. UK airspace closed again, diverted to Nice. Eventually depart Nice, arrive Heathrow and fight for a seat to Edinburgh. And Erica uh, was flying back from visiting family in Canada. Uh, she took a domestic flight to Toronto before the flight to the UK. That was cancelled. She had six days in the greater Toronto area. Uh, 
uh, before flights restarted. Wish I'd not taken that first domestic flight. Well, I had a lovely time. And if you were in the greater Toronto area, of course, you've got all sorts of wonders such as just down the road at Niagara Falls. And I think if you remember, we spoke a couple of weeks ago to Carolyn Pearson, founder of maidenvoyage.com. And she has a great volcano story. Um, I was on an all-girls yacht um, sailing around Antigua and um, we got wind of something about an ash cloud um, over in, back in Europe. And when we got to the airport, um, and this is, this is a, a plug for actually British Airways, we'd not even booked British Airways accommodation. We'd, all, we'd only booked their flights. And we got to the airport and they said, oh, you can't fly back because there's an ash cloud. Um, and they actually put me and two friends at an all-inclusive resort. And we were delayed there for three weeks. Um, so it was absolutely fantastic. We just, you know, the, the biggest complaint that we had is that we had to pay for our own massages. Well, every ash cloud has a silver lining. And I, <laughs> many years ago, was delayed in Antigua uh, for reasons which are far too complicated to go into now. Uh, but I've got to say it was a wonderful place to uh, <laughs> to not be expecting to visit uh, and uh, beaches uh, calypso rum just a brilliant time well my my volcanic ash story was um, not quite as uh, uh, exciting and glamorous as that i was in norway uh, on a family skiing holiday and we'd all flown over as passengers on sas and we came back separately because there wasn't room on, uh, on the first ship on two separate ships as cargo, effectively, because we, we managed to find uh, one ship leaving Gothenburg, another one leaving Oslo that eventually steamed across the, uh, the North Sea and arrived about three days later. But I guess that was an adventure traveling on a, a freighter. Um, very good value and uh, fascinating experience. What was the food like? <laughs> tremendous and which is just as well because you haven't got anything to do apart from uh, <laughs> eat and the uh, well eat and visit the engine room which was the absolute highlight uh, for us but uh, it's great and and you know there were 12 people that's the maximum you can carry on a on a freighter because beyond that i think you need a doctor and stuff like that and it was just a lot of camaraderie and people who, who had managed to find some great escape uh, of course, the internet was terrible. Um, it, it didn't, and, and you kind of felt adrift, but but calm, while all this mayhem was breaking out around the world. Uh, here's my third and uh, final category: um, technical difficulties. And uh, Tim Coxon tells us that uh, he was delayed for six hours in Gander, that's in Newfoundland, isn't it? In 1989, when our <laughs> TriStar damaged its landing gear. Uh, during a scheduled refueling stop. Initial fascination at the virtual time capsule of a transit lounge turned into stupendous boredom once the novelty factor wore off and we realised there was bugger all there. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that that wasn't a better experience in Gander because after the terrible events of 9-11, um, 38 planes were diverted to Gander. They were basically flying across the Atlantic and were told you're not going to be able to land in the US. And the welcome they received from the people there has actually become a hit musical, Come From Away. So uh, Say that again. It, it, come, come, come from... 
Come From Away. It's a hit musical um, in the olden days when we used to go to the theatre in London. Absolutely outstanding uh, piece of work. And it reaffirms your, your faith in humanity and in particular the good people of Newfoundland. OK, well, here's uh, Roy Murray, a 36-hour journey from Glasgow to Madeira. Uh, what would that normally be, just out of interest? Well, that would be a four-hour flight, yeah. Right, OK, all right. 36 hours then. Uh, got there. Uh, that's uh, Madeira, held for an hour due to wind, diverted to Tenerife, refueled, went again, uh, held for an hour, diverted to Lanzarote, where we stayed the night. Tech delays the next day meant the flight was delayed five hours, all with a two-year-old. Oh, and that brings into uh, play the well-known equation that the bearability of a delay is in inverse proportion to the age of the child that you have with you. But also, just a reminder, Madeira airport is very very weather dependent and therefore you may well not get there on your first attempt well of course package holidays and indeed any other sorts of holidays uh, can always um, uh, bring delays but uh, dr claire corkill who you might remember was um, uh, the nuclear scientist who was our uh, very uh, welcome and entertaining guest in a, a recent edition of you should have been there um, has her own way of uh, guarding against or making the most of uh, delays during her holidays, and that's to take her husband with her. My husband and I were going on holiday to Greece. It was one of these package holidays, and the the planes, they go to and from, from Heathrow to Greece, and then they come back and they come to Manchester, and they, they have a schedule throughout the day. And if for some reason the plane breaks, then your package holiday is pretty much cancelled. Well, this is what happened to us. Um, Unfortunately, the, the, the plane broke down. It wasn't going to come to Manchester. And my husband is a marvel, I have to say. Uh, I don't know quite how he does it, but he managed to get in hold of uh, get hold of the chief executive officer of this package holiday company. And he literally rustled up a new plane onto the runway at Manchester Airport. So we arrived uh, some 18 hours later than scheduled, but it's a lot better than, than the alternative, which was to wait three days for the next plane. So my, my husband is, as I say, a complete marvel. Well, there you are. No holiday is complete without Claire Corkill's husband. Well, I don't know how even he would cope with what poor Lawrence had to put up with. Um, he said ending up at a ventriloquist convention was an unusual delay. He doesn't tell us any more, but I hope he got a uh, gotled gear to uh, see him through that. And look, just before we finish, my most memorable delay of all actually began right here at Gatwick Airport. Um, going back 30 years, I was trying to get to Georgetown, Guyana. Not the easiest place in the world, but it looked quite uh, easy on paper. Uh, just simply flying from here to Paris Charles de Gaulle, boarding a flight to Caracas in Venezuela, and then uh, onward connection to Georgetown. Unfortunately, um, it kind of fell at the first hurdle. The uh, plane landed at the wrong Parisian airport. It missed the flight to Caracas, as a result of which I was then put on a plane back to Gatwick. I flew onwards to New York, then down through Miami, Puerto Rico, another overnight in Trinidad, and finally made it about three days late via Barbados to Georgetown. But it was worth it in the end. What a wonderful country.
I suppose it sounds more fun than uh, being uh, stuck in the underground car park at Gatwick North. Yep, I'll be getting out of here soon and I'll also be getting out of the country because, of course, on the 17th of May, we are allowed to travel abroad for fun. Again, I'm heading off to Portugal and next week we will be hearing about the secrets of Portugal. Do let us know if you've got your own. You can tweet us at you should have BT. Or you can leave an audio message. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and follow the instructions. So until then, from me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.